may be seated. God, we thank you for this place that we can come and we can worship you and we can worship you freely, authentically, genuinely. Lord, I pray this morning that uh, as we continue our time in worship through the word, Lord, that you would open our hearts and our minds for the things that you have for us this morning. I pray, Lord, that we would be receptive to the truth and the power of your word, and that we continue to be changed into the likeness of Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Morning. How's everybody this morning? If you're in need of a Bible, we've got some ushers that are gonna be coming down the aisle and they have some Bibles in their hands and you can slip a hand up. They'd love to get one in your hands. Thanks for being here this morning, worshiping with us. And thanks to those who are joining us online and those who are in traditions and those who are in kindred. Many different places, one church, worshiping the same God, same mission, same vision. We are in a series called We Believe. <clears throat> and uh, it is a series based on the evangelical free church statement of faith. That's our denomination. And it, it, it provides for us this affirmation of the convictions that we have. You might say it's a confession of belief, the beliefs that unifies those who believe it. It declares our identity and it holds up and brings attention to those things that we believe are of most importance. So far, we've talked about such things as God, we've talked about Jesus, we've talked about the human condition, we've talked about the work of Christ. And today, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. And I'm super excited about it. Here's our statement, Article 6. We believe that the Holy Spirit in all that he does glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ. He convicts the world of its guilt. He regenerates sinners and in him they are baptized into union with Christ and adopted as heirs into the family of God. He also indwells, illuminates, guides, equips, and empowers believers for Christ-like living and service. Without the Holy Spirit, it is impossible for us to live and to experience all that God has for us. I wanna share with you today some of the things that, that I have discovered in my own life and in my own walk with God. And I would say that I haven't always known these things, but the idea of walking in the Spirit and living dependent on the Spirit is somewhat unfamiliar to many people. And it's, frankly, it's kind of scary. It's foreign. I, like many others, avoided and, and, and probably out of ignorance of the Holy Spirit's existence and purpose. God created you, we covered that already. Jesus saved you, we covered that already. It's the Holy Spirit that gives you life. If you know God, believe in Jesus, but do not acknowledge and engage and live in the Spirit, your Christian life will lack. Life is only found in and through the Holy Spirit of God. He is the answer to so much of what we spend a lifetime looking for. Let's answer some questions. Who is the Holy Spirit? Um, it's rare, honestly, that churches even talk about the Holy Spirit. Again, because it's just, it's foreign, it can be vague, it can be uncertain. But who's the Holy Spirit? To understand the Holy Spirit, we first have to understand the broader concept of the Trinity. We believe in the Trinity. If you were here a few weeks ago, we talked about this a little bit. We believe in the Trinity, which means three in oneness, right? 
The Trinity teaches us that God is three persons, yet one God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They are all God, but they are all not each other. Is it too early for that? All three are different and yet the same. Each member of the Trinity is fully God. In the past, I've attempted to explain the Trinity and, and I'll share these quick analogies with you again. Um, I, I used the analogy of three people on stage and they had their backs together and they were facing outwards and they locked arms. So imagine that that could be the Trinity and, and by locking together, that's what makes them God. I've used the concept of DNA, that they're three distinct, but yet they share the same exact DNA, which would be the godness. Or I've used the concept of Siamese triplets. I am sure that you have all kinds of illustrations that are much better than those. But let's just be honest, it's difficult to explain it. The Holy Spirit's equality with God in Jesus is, is demonstrated to us in various passages of scripture and it starts way back in the Old Testament, runs all the way through the entire Bible. Genesis 1, 1 and 2, it says this, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, okay? Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep. I want you to get your mind around that for just a second. He created the heavens and the earth, formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep. And that's what it says. And the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. We see the evidence of the Holy Spirit's existence and position in the very first two verses of the Bible. The Holy Spirit was not created by God. He is God. Therefore, like God, he's always existed. The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The word spirit here in the very first couple of verses of the Bible means, it's the idea of wind. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit worked in and through people. He was there at creation. You can read it, but we just read it. He revealed divine truth to the prophets. Remember the prophets in the Old Testament as they would speak. He inspired the authors who penned the words of the Bible. The spirit was alive and active in the Old Testament, even though, here's the difference, and this is what's so important to get, and we're gonna get it a little bit later again. He did not indwell believers in the Old Testament. He would come upon believers in the Old Testament for a specific purpose during a specific time. We see in New Testament, Acts chapter two, verses one and two. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. So this is the day of Pentecost. In the New Testament, the Holy Spirit manifested himself to a group of people and it describes it like this, this rushing, violent, mighty wind that came upon them. The day of Pentecost was, was this pivotal moment in history of mankind. While he, the Holy Spirit, had always been in the world, we, we already saw that, right? On Pentecost, he introduced himself in, in a way that he never had up to that point, and he made a grand entrance. This is what Jesus kept telling his disciples throughout the Gospels. 
He kept saying, wait for it, as though to say, hold on, hold on. I'm leaving you. I've been raised from the dead. I'm going to leave you, but there's one who's coming who will guide you, who will speak to you, who will counsel you, and who will comfort you. Though Jesus knew his time on earth was up, he wanted so badly for them to grasp that the Holy Spirit was coming in a new and in a different way than they'd ever experienced before. During the days of Christ, the Spirit remained alive and active. We see him in Mary's pregnancy with Jesus. Remember that? Mary was conceived by the working of the Holy Spirit, allowing her to give birth to a sinless man. The Spirit descended upon Christ in the form of a dove when he was baptized. He announced the coming of the Holy Spirit and he called him the Comforter. And then after his resurrection, he appeared before his disciples who were gathered in a room in the Bible and he says, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit do? So we're talking about today now. What I'm about to share with you is so important to grasp as a believer. What does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit advocates for us. In John 14, 26, in the first part of that verse, it says, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, so he's announced as the advocate. What does that mean? It means that he speaks on our behalf. Satan, do you know what the word Satan means? It means accuser. So the Holy Spirit is our defense attorney. As the evil one is accusing you left and right, you're not good enough. You'll never be good enough. You can't do that. And just on and on and on. You're, you've sinned too much. You're a horrible person. The Holy Spirit is our advocate and in our defense says, hold on. No, you're a child of God. He helps us in our weakness. He assists us in living a Christian life. He defends us. He testifies with our spirit that we are a child of God. He's an advocate. The Holy Spirit teaches and reminds us. The next one. The second part of John 14, 26 is this. Will teach you all things and will remind you everything that I have said to you. In other words, Jesus, he's saying, the Holy Spirit's gonna come, he's gonna remind you of everything that I've already said to you. He was pointing them to the gospels, the life of Christ. The Holy Spirit will remind them and us through the word of God, who Jesus was and who Jesus is, how he lived his life. The Holy Spirit will point us to Jesus' character. So the Holy Spirit is gonna say, uh, look at Jesus' character, his dependency on the Father, I want you to notice that, the Holy Spirit's gonna say. His prayer life, look at Jesus' prayer life. His humility, his compassion towards people, his miraculous power, and his teachings and his great sacrifice. That's what the Holy Spirit continues to do, to teach us and remind us. He's pointing everything towards Jesus. It's the perfect model. In 
As a believer, you're being changed into the likeness of Jesus. You're being transformed, you're being changed to become more and more like him. That's what's happening to us. Imagine like this. God standing next to his son, Jesus, the one who lived the perfect sinless life. And I'll use myself as an example. And then he looks down and as though he speaks to the Holy Spirit, he says, Holy Spirit, in Andy, make Andy like this, my son. That's what he's doing. This is my son, he's perfect, he's sinless. We're becoming transformed into the likeness of Christ and he's saying to the Holy Spirit in me, make Andy, transform Andy to look like this. The Holy Spirit will often point us to Jesus in scripture reminding us of who we were before Christ, who we are in Christ and who we're becoming in Christ. He teaches us the truths that we need to know, when we need to know them, and when we're ready to receive them. The work of the Spirit is never divorced or in opposition or contradicts Jesus or the Word of God. So in other words, we can't say, well, the Holy Spirit is leading me to do this, and then we take out the Word of God and we flip some pages, we say, wait a minute, the Word of God says this. That means the Holy Spirit is not leading us to do that because it contradicts what the Word of God is. He will never do that. So he's our advocate, he teaches us, the Holy Spirit guides us. John 16, 13 says this. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, past. He will not speak on his own, he will speak only what he hears, present. And he will tell you what is yet to come, future. How do you go about making decisions in your life? Assuming that you are or that you desire to live within the boundaries of God's will. How do you do that? We bring him most glory when we are following his lead in our life. We need a guide because we don't know how to live and we don't know where to go. Either we are our own guide and we'll say, well, I'm just my own guide through this life. Or we allow the Holy Spirit to be our guide. He constantly points us in the direction of truth and protection. Here's what he does in our life. He says to us, I know you want to go in that direction. I know everything in you wants you to go that direction. I know that you want to do this or that. But look, here's a better way. Follow me, he says, so you can continue becoming who you already are. How many times have you and I come to various junctures in this life and wondered what to do, which direction to go? In Genesis, God used angels and, and, and visions and dreams to guide his people. 
You remember Moses in the Old Testament? He got a burning bush. Noah, God said, get on the boat. Joshua said, I have a fleece. I'm going to throw it out and see what God does. The Israelites got to follow a cloud and fire. How easy is that? In the Gospels, Jesus spoke face to face with his followers. That'd be super easy. Teaching, guiding them. Today, we have the Holy Spirit. So here we are living in this, is this unnatural environment, a world in which we were not designed to live in, at least the way that it is. What do we do? Where do we turn? There is nothing stopping us from going through this life, trying to find our own way. Of course, we do it all the time. As you know, that, that lends itself to wrong turns. If you can relate to this, it lends itself to wrong turns. You're like, oh, I think I'll go this way. Nope, that was wrong. Mountains and valleys and bad decisions. What happens when you deviate from the map just a little bit? You find yourself further and further and further off course with each passing day. And after many years, you're lost in the forest. We were not designed, nor were we equipped to go through this life in our own, on our own, making our own decisions and finding our own way. It's the truth. An average person makes upwards of 35,000 decisions a day. That's a lot of decisions. If we're making an average of 35,000 decisions a day, some of which are obviously small and insignificant, yet there, there is the potential of some of those 35,000 decisions per day to be life-altering and carrying with them consequences and misdirection. You know, it's said that we even actually make 300 decisions a day regarding food. That's crazy. I don't know if every time you put an Oreo in your mouth, is that one decision? Is that five? Is that 10? Is that 100? I don't know what that accounts for, right? Something is guiding us through this life. Let's just be honest. It might be a goal that we have. We might say, hey, I'm gonna set some goals this year and I got this goal and man, I am going after this. This is my goal. Maybe that's what's guiding us. It might be our own selfish desires. It might be the desire to please someone. Just to hear someone say, thank you or good job or well done or I'm proud of you. Is that what's driving us? Whatever it is, something is guiding us and directing us on the path that we are on. To allow the Holy Spirit to guide us, we have to lean into God. We have to listen to his voice. I'm going to share this with you. I've probably shared this with you five times, but I, somebody in my office again this week, and I shared it with them again, and I think it's absolutely key for hearing the voice of God through the Holy Spirit. The word, reading the word. Prayer. Looking at your circumstances. And church or wise counsel. 
But you could take any one of those things out and say, well, the word said this, so I'm gonna go do it. And say, well, here's what I say. Look for all four of them. Look for this, this perfect convergence of all four of those areas. Because as those things start to come together, they'll be consistent. As you're reading the word, as you're praying and you're looking at your circumstances and, and you're listening at church or maybe you're talking to somebody that's, a, that's a, a wise believer and they're saying something, you're just like, wow, this is starting to connect. That's God speaking. How am I indwelled and filled with the Holy Spirit? Or might I add the question, what's the difference between being indwelled and filled with the Spirit? Indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1, second part of verse 13 and 14 says this. When you believed, in other words, when you first believed in Christ, you were marked in him with a seal the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to praise of his glory. This is why I believe in eternal security. Uh, maybe you've heard the phrase, once saved, always saved. Once you surrender your life to Christ, you cannot lose your salvation. That's just, this is what I believe. Because if we could lose our salvation, if we could gain our salvation or lose our salvation, then salvation lies in the hands of the individual, right? Like I get to decide somehow like, oh, today I'm gonna be saved, tomorrow I did really bad, I'm not saved. But that's not what the word of God says, in my opinion. It says that we're sealed, the promised Holy Spirit, who is the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until redemption. So, so we're talking about being indwelled first. The Holy Spirit plays a major role in a person's life, even prior to placing their trust in God to save them. So even before you said yes to Jesus, the scripture talks about how God is drawing you. So the Holy Spirit, he's using the Holy Spirit to draw you, to reveal himself to you. It's so fun to watch that in, in, in someone's life as you see God working and he's, and he's drawing that person into salvation. And if you're saved, that happened to you. He works in you and around you in different ways to draw you to a moment in time when you're face to face with the reality of life and eternity. And it's at that moment each of us either accept or reject God's invitation. Titus 3, 5 says this, that it is by the regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit that we're saved. So at the very moment you ask God for the forgiveness of sin, have you done that? And do you remember that? At that moment, when you ask God for the forgiveness of sin and you receive salvation through Jesus Christ and his death on the cross, the blood that he shed, at that instant, that very moment, the Holy Spirit indwelled you, bam. Making you his forever. So what changes when a person accepts Christ and the Holy Spirit indwells them? Everything. That's when the scripture says, and you're a brand new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. You're completely different. You're not the same person. You are brought from being spiritually dead to spiritually alive, scripture says. 
So when the Holy Spirit indwells you, you become a whole new person. You become a child of God. You are now his and he will change you from the old way of life to the new way of life. This indwelling at the moment of salvation is a permanent one-time act. It happens one time and it's permanent. Ephesians 1.13 says, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. So the permanent one-time indwelling of the Holy Spirit is that seal that I talked about. Every believer lives indwelled with the Holy Spirit. So if you are here right now and you are a believer, you are a follower of Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells you. But not every believer lives filled with the Holy Spirit. When we live our life indwelled, but not filled, we lack power, strength, understanding, obedience, wisdom, counsel, discernment, clarity, peace, joy, self-control, the list goes on and on. When we live indwelled because we're a believer, we're sealed in him, but not filled with the spirit, we lack those things. So now let's transition for a second. Let's talk about what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. This, guys, is where my, my eyes have been opened in, in the last years and my, I, I've just come to a whole new understanding of what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Filled with the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 5.18 says this. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. It's interesting how he, Paul compares it to being drunk and being filled with the Spirit. It's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that we live and experience the life that we were created to live. A believer can live a completely unsatisfied life. And we could say, well, it's because I lack money or it's because of the relationships I've been in. They don't seem to work out or the circumstances. Man, I've just had horrible circumstances. And we go through life and we live this completely unsatisfied life. A believer who lives unsatisfied and unfulfilled has much more to do with them not living filled with the Spirit and not walking in the Spirit than it does circumstances. It's the Holy Spirit who offers what we are looking for in this life that we feel like we've been lacking. The phrase, be filled with the Spirit, is written in the present tense to say, keep on being filled. Making this filling of the Spirit an ongoing experience, but I'm gonna unpack that for just a minute. But it's also passive in the sense that we do not fill ourselves with the Spirit, but rather we invite and permit the Spirit to fill us. Okay, so before we lose it, so who has the Holy Spirit living inside of them? Every believer, right? Indwelled. Once, one-time filling, permanent, we have the Spirit. <clears throat> now we're talking about being filled with the Spirit, living out of the filling of the Spirit. <clears throat> The word fill has nothing to do with quantity. As though we have an internal Holy Spirit gauge that says one mile till empty. 
The word filled in scripture, it carries with it this meaning to be controlled by. So when we are controlled by the spirit, there's an unexplainable joy that protrudes in us and from us. Paul says, do not get drunk on wine. This statement is in reference to the day of Pentecost. Remember I talked about the day of Pentecost when they're all gathered together, when the Holy Spirit showed up and, and, and people just were just crazy. Like there was just violent wind and people probably were dancing and they were joy filled and they're just going on. And the outsiders are looking in and go, look at these guys, they're all drunk. They had such joy that people didn't have any other explanation. We're to be filled with the Holy Spirit or be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Warren Wearsby says this, he's, he's a theologian. He says this, this kind of joy is not a thermometer, but a thermostat. Instead of our joy rising and falling with circumstances of life, being filled with the Spirit acts as a thermostat to determine the spiritual temperature of our circumstances. Does that make sense? So instead of allowing circumstances to determine, we set a thermostat and that's the Holy Spirit. It's like setting your house at 70 degrees, okay? Just leaving it there, setting it on auto. So it doesn't matter if it's spring or fall or winter or summer, it's always 70 degrees. That's kind of what he's describing. We're filled by being controlled by the Spirit. Being controlled by the Spirit will determine the level of joy in the midst of life regardless of our circumstances. And when we're not controlled by the Spirit, the circumstances determine the level of joy. Allow me for a minute just to compare and contrast drunkenness with being filled in the Spirit. To be drunk means to be under the control or the influence of alcohol. Because alcohol is actually a depressant, a person who is under its influence feels this great sense of, of release and freedom, right? A drunk person's inhibitions are removed, so they feel uh, free to express themselves like they might not otherwise. A drunk is unable to hide what is going on in his life. Now, I want you to contrast that with a believer who's filled with the Spirit. He is controlled or is under the influence of God. He experiences a deep, authentic joy. He's not afraid to express or can keep from expressing it. While the drunk gets out of control, a believer filled with the Spirit is actually in self-control. That's one of the fruits of the Spirit actually, right? The drunk makes a fool of himself. A Spirit-filled believer is a fool for God. The drunk calls attention to himself, while the Spirit-filled believer calls attention to God. I want you to listen to this next statement really, really closely. So if you haven't heard anything I've said so far, Listen to this. Being filled with the Holy Spirit does not mean that you acquire more of him. Being filled means for him to acquire more of us. Does that make sense? So in other words, um, we're not, when, when we say, Holy Spirit, fill me, because uh, we're already indwelled, 
We already have 100% capacity of the Holy Spirit in us. We can't get any more of the Holy Spirit. So we can't say, Holy Spirit, fill me. I need more of you. He's already there. So when Paul says, be filled with the Holy Spirit, what he's actually describing is, is having 100% of the Holy Spirit in us, but we're filled when the more we get out of the way. So when it becomes less of us, it becomes more of him. And when it becomes less of us, the more that we're filled. Does that make sense? This is absolutely key when we talk about the Holy Spirit. This is absolutely key in our walk with Christ. The more that you surrender, the more that you turn over, the more that you say to the Holy Spirit, uh, I've got an area of the house, I've got a closet in the house that I've been protecting that I don't want you to go into and I'm not ready to surrender that. Well, then you're not completely filled with the Spirit, but, but you say, okay, now I'm ready to surrender that, whatever that is, and you surrender it, the Holy Spirit takes over more territory in your life, you're more filled with the Spirit. Does that make sense? It's not receiving more quantity of the Spirit, it's allowing the fullness of the Spirit to be free. Um, sometimes when I pray, when I start uh, the message, I'll say, Holy Spirit, come fill this place, right? You've heard me say that a million times. A lady caught me after one of the services and says, well, you know, what you're asking for is not actually really true because the Holy Spirit's here, right? Correct. Every believer that walks through those doors, you bring the Holy Spirit into this room because you're indwelled. So when I pray, Holy Spirit, come, uh, work in our midst, what I'm praying for is the filling of the Spirit for each one of us, that we would get out of the way and the Holy Spirit would fill us, take more capacity in our lives because the more capacity the Holy Spirit takes, the more we're gonna experience him in this place. But the more that we squelch, the more that we quench, the more we don't understand, the more that we resist, the more that we keep our life to ourselves and we don't surrender it to God, we experience less of the Holy Spirit. The life that God has for you is not possible without the Holy Spirit being alive in you. Here's one last thing. This isn't the one thing, it's one last thing. This might be a huge eye-opener for many of you. Once the Holy Spirit is in you and has been made alive in you, your flesh and the Spirit are at constant war. That is why Paul says in Romans, the very things that I want to do, do you know this? I do not do. And the very things I don't want to do, I keep finding myself doing. And what he's describing is this constant battle between the Holy Spirit and the flesh. Your fleshly nature wants nothing to do with the spirit nature, nor does your spirit nature want anything to do with the fleshly nature. Read Romans chapter eight. Your fleshly nature is all about finding pleasure. What feels good, happiness, 
There is no other way to say it other than our fleshly nature is pure selfishness. We naturally are drawn to a life apart from God in the flesh. In this pilgrimage that we are on, we only have two options. We can either live life in and through the spirit of God in us or in the flesh. Those are the only two options. We can either live to satisfy God or self. The spirit brings life, the flesh brings death. It is a life where his will is more important than mine. His plan trumps my plan. His ways are better than my ways. He can be trusted much more than I can trust myself. It's to die to self and to live in him. I want to leave you with one thing, and then we're going to transition here in just a second into a time of communion. And the one thing is found in Romans 8, 6, the second part. It says this, the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. Anybody here want life and peace? Not one hand. Anybody want life and peace? Oh, there's a lot of hands. The mind governed by the spirit is where you find life and peace. Father, thank you for uh, this morning. Thank you for your word. And we thank you for the Holy Spirit. It's kind of a scary topic. We have to admit, God, we don't fully understand. But all throughout scripture, you say it's the key. It's the key to life. Maybe it's what some have been missing. Maybe a light bulb went off this morning. Maybe the truth of your word has awakened us. Maybe the Holy Spirit is awakening us. Maybe there's an area of our life that we need to surrender. And by doing so, we're praying for a greater filling of the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.